This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. What's up? Don't answer me. The sky, that's true. Jesus as well. Um, I want to start off tonight um, with thanking you guys in advance for not being a bunch of distracted dudes and chicks. I love you all. Pay attention. Because it's so much more worth it if you pay attention. Really, like you could leave here like having learned nothing or leave here learning something. Also, you won't get shouted uh, down from the stage if you don't say anything. I titled my sermon, Contend for the Faith. It is out of the book of Jude in the New Testament, and I hope you love it. Well, I hope God loves it, first of all. Let's rewind into history. So there was a man named Athanasius. He lived a few hundred years after Jesus, and he was a Christian. He was bishop over the church in a place called Alexandria. It's in Egypt. It's just a city. But in the time of his ministry, what was going around was this common misbelief, this lie, this false teaching, this heresy, that Jesus was in fact not Son of God, had no divinity, and was just a dude that God sort of used a little bit, maybe. But probably not. It was so pervasive, in fact, that... As he was actively trying to thwart this belief, the members of his church, which the church would have been just the whole city, not like a random room like this, kicked him out of the seat of authority five times in his ministry. At the end of his life, on his grave was written, Athanasius against the world. His ministry did have an impact in belief. People stopped believing the heresy. But for his whole life, it seemed like it was just him against the world. This book that we'll be reading out of was written by um, not just some random dude, though he counts himself as just some random dude. It was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had four brothers, in fact. uh, After he was born from God, Mary had four babies with Joseph. And so, Jude, he... He has some interesting things to say. He, uh, he's imploring people to contend for the faith, which might not seem like the most relevant topic, but it really, really is. So through this text, we will learn that true believers contend for authenticity of the faith. We will learn that we must contend for the uniqueness of our faith, for it is very, very unique. We must contend Because there are, in fact, false teachers contending against the faith. And we will learn that we must contend with our whole lives. Everything that we do. We'll jump into the text. Jude 3 through 4. It's a a one-chapter book, so you won't get like chapter, verse, verse. You'll get just verses. 3 through 4. Beloved, although although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... 
I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. First of all, how sickening that so soon after Jesus' death, within a century, within a few decades, people would have started to steer themselves so wrongly that they would it should be striking up false teaching. Before we get too deep into the text, I want to cover some basic preliminaries. First of which is faith. We all have sort of a bearing for what faith is, right? Faith is that thing that we have. It's belief without seeing. It's, it's, it's what gets us salvation, our faith in Christ. But the faith that Jude talks about here is the faith. There's that definite article in front of faith that makes it something else. The faith is like a teaching. There's the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the, Muslim, the Islamic, Islamic faith. Um, it's a set of teaching that a group of people all hold to. So when I refer to the faith here, I'm not talking about like some abstract thing. So what is our faith? Acts 2 uh, defines it pretty well. This is right after Jesus' death. All the disciples were just given the Holy Spirit and they begin to preach. And Peter preaches a message that lays out our faith beautifully. I summarize it like this. By his grace, Christ died for sinners to be made righteous through belief. He died according to God's definite plan and rose from the dead to bring himself glory and victory. He now is forever glorified and is seated at the right hand of God in majesty. Any who wish to join Christ in heaven and overcome death need only repent from sinful living and believe wholeheartedly that Christ died as a sacrifice and is now risen. Our faith is very unique. This is our faith. Adding to it, taking from it, produces heresy. What's heresy? Let me tell you. Thank you for asking. Um, Heresy. Heresy is any belief or opinion that is contrary to ordinary religious doctrine. Well, what's so wrong with like being a little different, you know? I mean, America, you can be a little different. Everyone's got the freedom to do whatever the heck, right? No, not in our faith. Because like I said, this is unique. This is different. There is no room for adding to the faith. There is no room for subtracting from the faith. And that is exactly what heresy does. It twists the beautiful thing that our Lord instituted. Here's an example. This is a thing called Arianism. It's what our guy, Athanasius, spent like his entire life dedicated to destroying. Arianism denied Jesus outright of having divine power. They claimed that Jesus was only called the Son of God out of some courtesy, like he was a great prophet, and so they called him God's son, like it was a title. And that he was, more or less, merely a prophet. They reduced Jesus to just a guy who taught and maybe possibly, but probably didn't, speak from the mouth of God. That is extreme heresy. Why? Because Jesus had to have been God's son. If Jesus wasn't God's son, then our salvation is nothing. Then the faith is nothing. Jesus had to have been one of the members of the Trinity. He had to have been God. 
He had to have been the perfect sacrifice. Or this is, what we're sitting in here for is nothing. This is just one of many extremely destructive heresies. They stem from false teaching that just festers and grows until it's this set belief that a group of people have and it infiltrates and it's pervasive and it's evil and it destroys. So that's why Jude writes this letter. Because we must contend for our faith. We have to fight for it. Now let's look at what contend means. Contend, in this scripture here, it comes from an athletic word. Like at that time, in wherever they were, <laughs> Athens, Greece held sports pretty often. And one of their sports was wrestling. And whenever they would talk about contending, it was this sort of wrestling, grappling, like fighting someone down to the ground and choking them out maybe and maybe breaking an arm kind of thing. It was pretty darn serious. It was agonizing and it was strenuous. So, armed with all of that knowledge, let's look back at the text real quick. Jude 3 through 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, which is a highly important thing, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, like snakes, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In this sermon, I hope that I can reflect Jude's disdain for false teaching, for false teachers, and his passion for contending for the faith. And I hope that maybe you get a horrible taste in your mouth for false teaching as well. See, the reason... Uh, Jude chose to write content to, about contending for the faith rather than something so crucial as our common salvation was, uh, it's, it's clearly stated in verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Meaning the church is tricked. They don't realize they're there. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation? Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, denying our only Lord, our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. It seems that the false teacher's issues um, was that they were taking grace and making it into a license to sin. Not necessarily was their you know, teaching horrible, but maybe just a little bit. You know, I could take a little bit, right? You could take a little bit. A little bit of untruth is, you know, it's not that bad compared to everything else. But it was evident in the way that they lived. And so when you take what they lived like versus what they said they were, they didn't add up. There was a deficit, and it had to be dealt with. Perverting grace for lustful gain is, in, is a false teaching. To say that you can do lustful sexual things because God will forgive, he's gracious, is evil. So what is our response to false teaching? Paul says this about this perverting of the grace Romans 6, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. If I got up here and preached life and righteousness, 
a little bit watered down. And then at home, I was living a horrible, sinful life. That's death. That's death with a mask on. So we come to our first point. We must contend for the uniqueness of our faith. Our faith must remain unstained. What does it mean to contend for the uniqueness of our faith? Maybe you didn't realize that our faith really was, in fact, unique. We'll read that summation of it again from Acts. By his grace, that's Jesus Christ, Christ died for sinners to be made righteous through belief, through faith. He died according to God's definite plan and rose from the dead to bring himself glory and victory. He now is forever glorified and is seated at the right hand of God in majesty. Any who wish to join Christ in heaven and overcome death need only repent from sinful living and believe wholeheartedly that Christ died as a sacrifice and is now risen. Christ died. He is risen. By faith, we can be made righteous through his grace. That's our faith. Christ forever glorified by those things. To change it, you're not part of it. It is important that we cling very closely to these teachings, that we get a liking for these teachings, that we get a liking for Scripture, because that's how we won't deviate from them. These teachings given to us are perfect, and they don't need to be added to or taken away from. Our faith actively rejects lifestyles, sinful lifestyles. What kinds? Well, to give some examples, abortion. Those who support it, those who participate in it without repentance, without turning back to the Lord, are rejected by our faith as murder. LGBTQ community, those who actively remain in a lifestyle of sin and of homosexuality, are just like the false, or just like the false teachers in their lifestyle. They do not have a lifestyle that reflects Christ, and therefore they cannot be of Christ. People who believe that hidden sins are no danger, well, it's okay because it's, it's under the rug back there. No, 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 no. Things like pornography, things like drug addictions. It's evil and pervasive, and it cannot be apart. We are called to love these people. We are called to invite them to our faith. But they cannot be of our faith if they do not drop what they have first to pick it up. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 makes clear that we must be holy, which comes from repentance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus meets this lady who, normally a Jewish person wouldn't talk to a Samaritan, and a man wouldn't just randomly talk to some lady. And he's talking, and he tells her about all of the things she's ever done. It's like, dude... You've been, you've been sleeping around with people. You know, you live this horrible life that you're, you're living in a lie. And she's like, holy cow, I didn't tell you any of that. How'd you figure that out? You must be like the Messiah. And he was like, yeah, in fact, I am. And she believed, she repented, immediately went and evangelized in her hometown. 
And plenty of them got saved too. She dropped what she had, which was sin, namely adultery, and picked up grace. I love that you must grasp the faith and hold it tightly. There are those in this world who disagree with it, and they will do anything to entice you into letting go of the faith. They won't do it like, like you think, though. It's not like, you ever seen uh, God's Not Dead? You know, where the you know, teacher's like, hey, yeah, <laughs> atheism, that's what's up. And then some random kid, like, it's like, no, God, and he's not dead, and my God's not dead, he's, you know. That's not how it works. They're not just going to actively try and rip it from you like it's some toy. They'll try to give you other things. They're like, here, 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 look, look, look. Compromising in gender roles. It's okay. It's not no big deal. You can compromise a little. Maybe God didn't create the world. He can still be God, you know, you know. Jesus loves you even if you're even if you're living in sin. And then eventually you've got enough of these little things that faith is it's long gone. It's not on your journey anymore. We must contend for authenticity of our faith, for the uniqueness of the faith that we have. It does not allow culprits, it does not allow extras, and it does not allow being broken, not even chipped, not even scratched. How? There's a way. It's scripture. It's pretty simple. Read, study. Joshua 1, 8 says this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to get it in you. That's where our faith comes from. It's clearly written and spelled out there. And how could you not eat it up from there and call yourself part of it? You won't have to worry that some false teacher will come along with something way smarter than you could have imagined and steal you over to the dark side because you will have light living in you from what you consume. You'll be able to stop them in their tracks when they present lies when they present lies to you, whenever they present lies to others. Our faith is very unique. Adding to it or taking from it produces heresy. The Christian faith would be nothing if it made allowances for the perversion of grace, for immoral lifestyles. We must contend. I tried searching for a story from like a movie or something that kind of showed how to contend, but it didn't quite work. Because uh, there's not really any good ones. But uh, there's a story in Acts that is really, really good. It's a little sad. The guy dies. But I think it strengthens our belief and our faith. Listen. Acts 7, 54 through 60. Lean in. This is beautiful. Now when they heard these things, them being the Sadducees, they had taken one of the believers prisoner, a young guy about our age. When they had heard these things, he preached the truth to them, the faith. They were enraged. 
They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stoning was brutal. You were, you were beaten to death. Can you imagine being beaten to death with a stone? It was said that they really tried not to even hit people in the head whenever they stoned them because they took pride in the, in the longness of someone dying. They stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. The book that we all hold to, the book that we call our faith, that we get everything that we believe in from, is full of men and women who were willing to die. Who did die. Plenty of them. Thousands of martyrs within the first years of of Christ's ministry. We've got to be willing to, to stand up for our faith. These people were willing to be stoned for it, bludgeoned to death. We've got to do it because there are false teachers, which brings us to our second point. We must contend because there are false teachers, snakes. If there were no false teachers, the Christian life would be so much easier, but that's not so. Jesus actually says, oh, sorry, Jude actually says in this letter that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Designated for this condemnation. False teachers come as no surprise to our Lord. As a matter of fact, our Master uses them to strengthen our faith. All the while, they are just embracing more and more their own downfall. Although false teachers are evil, it is actually their presence that strengthens our belief. Their, their purpose to thwart to destroy and to undermine is actually the exact opposite of what they do in the life of someone who is dug into the scripture. Well, the false teachers in Job are Job and Jude. Job. Job is a different book of the Bible, in case you're wondering. Teachers in Jude are attempting to do is add what they want to do, what they want in their lives, to the faith. Remember what I said about adding to the faith, how that is heresy? There's no room in the faith. The only way to make room in the faith for their sinful lifestyles to fit in is to break other things in the faith, which is exactly what they did. They took grace, and they said, oh, look, there's an in. We can use that. Because of grace, we can insert ourselves into the faith, have our sinful lifestyles, and look, grace fits nicely over us because we have grace, and God gives grace even if we sin. How nice. That's not how grace works. That is a major abuse of grace. Yes, God gives grace abundantly, but not to those who are living in unrepentance, not to those who reject him. They were perverting grace. Verse 4 of Jude 
says that these false teachers pervert the grace of our God and sensuality. It's any time someone rejects the truth of our faith by adding to it or taking from it, they are rejecting Christ himself. It's like, it's like adding to the faith is like adding water to milk. So like, look, you've got like real milk, which is whole milk, and you've got like fake milk, which is like 1%. That, that stuff that's like even worse than 2%. 2% is almost palatable, but even you've got like 1%. And it's like so far from real milk. It's like, okay, you put them side by side, and it's like, okay, they look the same. They really do. But then you drink one, and you're like, okay, man, that water tastes a little milky. Uh, that's not... That's not milk. It's just not. You can't tell me it is. You're wrong. Sorry. You drink whole milk and it's like, man, that's whole milk. I don't want half the milk. I don't want a piece of the milk. I don't want three quarters of the milk. Give me the whole milk. Jeez. Selling me water. Like if you really want to go home and can drink 1% milk, take whole milk. It's much better. And run it under the tap. Dilute your own milk. No. Uh, we're done with the milk, I'm sorry. <laughs> where, where am I? The milk was so distracting. Okay, so <laughs> false teachers dilute milk and grace. Dilute, dilute the faith. <laughs> what are some false teachings that we see today in our churches? Because, I mean, like Arianism was way back then, but what do we have today? We've got some pretty nasty ones. Nastier than 1%. The word of faith movement is where it is believed and taught by some that the greatest names, like some of the greatest names in TV evangelism and televised ministries, weirdos, that Jesus, his ultimate goal is bringing, in bringing you salvation is to bless you so you can live your best life now, so you can avoid sickness and poverty and persecution and in some cases even death if you'll just speak condemnation over those things in your life. With a lot of grace. I mean, a lot of faith. Uh, faith. Word, of, word of faith. You're speaking from faith to stop bad stuff from happening or whatever. You want spiritual riches? You want physical riches? You name it, it's yours if you've got the faith. I could go on for hours on why this is ridiculous, why it is ludicrous, why it is wrong and evil and perverted and disgusting to take faith and attach it to yourself putting yourself above the thing that you even want to have faith in, which is Jesus. I'll give you one good reason for why it's wrong. Our Lord suffered. He wants us to partake in suffering because it makes us better. Read this. Romans 5, 3-5. through five. Not only that... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Ultimately, suffering produces hope, which is something that a lot of rich people have none of. Another false teaching among some groups teaches that you must speak in tongues as evidence of your salvation. Nothing against tongues. But to, as an evidence of your salvation, that's, that's inviting works into salvation, which is not how salvation works. See what I did there? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, 
Salvation is by grace alone, through faith, am I right? And works, right? Joel, is that right? Not even close. Grace, faith, works. No. Grace, faith, works. Can you add in works into salvation? It doesn't work because grace and faith can't be, I mean, sorry, grace and works can't be together. You can't earn grace. You can't work for grace. And to throw in something that you must have in order to prove that you're saved is to throw on some sort of work. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you have been saved through faith. Man, it's almost like I said that a bunch of times. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one can boast. Jesus didn't say, repent, believe, and speak in tongues. He said, repent and believe. Anything beyond that makes room for boasting due to work. Christ doesn't want boasting in his faith. That puts you above what is actually important, which is him. One more popular false teaching um, that's sort of easy to not notice, um, but whenever you really look at it, it's, it's cunning that the enemy does it like this. Um, I heard somewhere that uh, they are called the ticklers. The ticklers. Because they would rather tickle ears and say what you want to hear, um, usually in mega churches wearing really nice clothes and like shouting and saying a bunch of really cool things. Man, but not really ever preaching any of the word of God. And they like to come and stand over here and do just like this. Does anybody see who I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? That's not the word of God. They're putting on a show for you because they know it's what you want to hear and because they're willing to make you feel good to be at their church and to get money. They're not preaching the word of God. What they're doing is completely shallow. 2 Timothy 2, 15-16 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Not shallowly handling, or like half-heartedly handling, but like rightly handling it, where you're preaching truth. It says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Some irreverent babble that like, people like to hear is alliteration. You know, alliteration and maybe a little bit of rapping and like, live! Like, like screaming and stuff. Like, nutsness that sounds pretty okay. Though it may seem harmless enough. Just cool and motivational. The truth is that preaching a watered-down or ear-tickling version of God's word without regard for the truth of God's word isn't scripture. It does nothing for the body of Christ. It does nothing for us as believers, even as an individual. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So what's common among these? They take you and they put it above Jesus. They take you and put it above the principles that he teaches. Take your lifestyles and they allow them. They sympathize with abortion, LGBTQ, lustful, secret things. They allow things into their faith because the faith that they have is paper thin. It's not faith. 
Righteousness, given as a free gift through Christ, through Christ's grace, cannot be mixed with a life of immorality. Um, does anybody in here work at Chick-fil-A? Probably like half the room. Oh, it is like half the room. Dang. Whew. Okay, so there's like a contract. Whenever like Papa Chick-fil-A gave Chick-fil-A to his three kids or whatever, he, I learned this from my friends, he, uh, he said, you can't open on Sundays. And he said a bunch of other things, but like he made them sign a contract, whatever. You can't open on Sundays. If they opened on Sundays and like started selling hamburgers, they're like, yeah, we've got the Chick-fil-A Whopper uh, on Sunday, come eat lunch after church. That's, that's not Chick-fil-A anymore. You can't be Chick-fil-A and sell hamburgers and be open on Sunday. You cannot be a Christian and allow to adding things to the faith. You can't bring your lifestyle into the faith. You can't bring sin into it. You can't take things away from it that you don't like. Christ gets glory forever. Man, I wish I could get some glory too. But like, it's just Christ. I'm going to kick that part out and make Christ just like some prophet or something. That we were like more on the same level and he's not glorified above me or something like that. It's ridiculous. One way that we can contend in our own lives is to cut out those people that we know are false teachers. Who are you listening to? Oh, what are you listening to? That's a great song by Chris Stapleton. I'm sorry. Who are you listening to that you just know is a false teacher? Based on what I've uh, jumped around just now, who are you listening to that has no business preaching the word of God? Who's the 1% milk in your life? Stop listening to that podcast. Stop listening to that preacher. And surely don't give them any money. <laughs> How do we contend for the faith? Point three. We must contend with our whole lives. Everything that we do, everything that we are, we've got to contend for the faith. In Jude 4, we see that the false teachers being spoken of didn't have the most diluted teaching. Maybe they were more like 2%, which is, it still tastes okay. You know, like you put it in milk and it's like, it could be whole milk. I mean, you put it in uh, cereal, it could be whole milk, you know, who knows. But then you look at how they act and what they do in their lives. These false teachers were full of sexual immorality. It's like, okay, that little, that little deviation from the faith that you've allowed, it, it really does affect things. I see some giggling and some talking over there. I love y'all. Sorry. All right. Let's read Jude 20 through 23. Because Jude beautifully puts how we can contend for our faith. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. We can build ourselves up in the faith, like he said. Through study, through prayer, prayer surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we can build ourselves up. We Practice obedience and love through snatching people out of the fire. That's evangelism. These are all commands that are given to us. What's tricky 
about this one part of contending for our faith with our whole life is right here in verse 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I'm like, how do I keep myself in the love of God? We see, we can do those other three things fairly easily. But keeping yourself in the love of God is trying to like tell a baby inside of a, a womb, like, hey, keep yourself alive. And he's just like, look, I didn't put myself here. I can't get myself out of here. How am I going to keep myself alive here? That doesn't make any sense. You can't put it in the baby's hands to keep himself alive when he's not even born yet. It's not his pickle that he got himself into. You didn't get yourself saved. Jesus saved you. You're in this faith because of Christ. You can't keep yourself in it if you didn't even get yourself in it. So then how do we stay in it? How do we stay in God's love? Jude 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And there's a, there's a preacher who put it like this. Not to him who is able to keep you from falling on your face, but to him who is able to keep you from even stumbling. It's Christ. It's our Lord that keeps us from stumbling, who keeps us in the love of God. See, he is the one that keeps us in the love of God. Yes, we need only remain obedient to the building, our, building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and snatching people out of the fire. We're obedient in those things. And he's faithful in the rest. Those are the marks of someone who is strong in the faith. Those are the marks of someone who will contend for the faith with their whole lives. Willing even to be stoned, willing to be persecuted in school, willing to be rejected, willing to be alone sometimes, willing to go against the world. Contending for the faith is not simply standing for what you believe. Any Disney film can teach you that. What I'm trying to show you is a lifestyle. It's a life where because of the change that has taken place in your heart through Christ, you can no longer settle for anything less than the truth that Christ set into place. You can no longer settle for anything less than undiluted teaching. Undiluted the faith. It's a life that will sometimes feel like it's you against the whole world, just like Athanasius at the beginning of the sermon, but that's only because you will be standing with Christ. And it's okay because you will be standing with Christ. When you contend for the faith, you make a difference. Athanasius did. Stephen made a difference in my life. Even if you die believing that all you did was strive against the world your whole life, it'll be worth it because you will have known and fought for what is eternally true and free. We've got to contend for the faith. False teachers are waiting around the corner to rip your faith from you, 
to make you ineffective for the gospel, to make you just some normal American. Nothing. 1% milk. It's useless. It's useless to have diluted faith. Let's recap. We must contend for the uniqueness of our faith. There is no faith like ours. Ours is the only true faith, and at all costs, we must protect it. We must contend because there are false teachers. At all costs, our faith must be protected against those who wish to twist it or to outright deny it. And we've got to contend with our whole lives. Not part of ourselves, but all of us. We are contending for all of the faith with all of who we are. Contending for our faith is natural, is a natural outpouring of a life that is consistent with the teachings of that faith. I want to challenge you. Get on a reading plan that will give you Bible knowledge so that you can contend for the faith. Once a day, something, read continually. Read through the Bible. 15 minutes a day. Mr. Yumiko, that amazing guy who sings and plays guitar and plays pretty much everything. He said his life was changed by 15 minutes a day. That's no big Start praying for God to put someone on your heart for you to snatch out of the fire. Then start intentional conversations with them about the gospel. Check what you listen to. Against scripture, which you'll be reading because you committed to. And get rid of the things that are false teaching. They have no place in your life. They have no place in the faith that Christ established. Get rid of them. Love you a little bit. It's important that you that you believe these things, that you contend for the faith that you believe in. It's what we base our lives around. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the faith. Thank you for the teaching that we all hold to. God, that you came and by your grace you saved us. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our conviction. Strengthen us so that we are willing to speak about the faith, to speak about the gospel to people. Make us unwavering. God, even in the face of those who lie to us, those who lie about you and who you are and what you provide, we love you, Lord. We are seeking biblical accuracy the love of Christ and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.